All right. The question that I put out there today was, are clients passive aggressive? And uh, the short answer is no. No, they're not. Now, there's some people who are going to say, oh, but, and, and, and I get that. So here's my long version. If you're not convinced that clients are not passive aggressive, I mean, some of them are aggressive aggressive. That's, that's a thing. Luckily, that's super rare. But, uh, but if you're not entirely convinced, here's the, the long version. And it's not that long. The number one challenge we have in this industry and really in life is communication. It all boils down to communication over and over. What makes it difficult in particular for a very experienced mortgage broker or agent is that we know our industry so well and we speak its language or the subset dialect of the language so fluently that we start to assume everyone else is, is with us, you know, at least on some of the fundamental basic words. And as with any dialect or language, as they say, the more comfortable we get, the more we just tend to assume people are keeping up with us. You know, after all, I mean, you wouldn't be buying a property without knowing the meaning of the words, you know, subject, condition, inspection versus appraisal, amortization versus term, close versus open, fixed versus variable, closing costs, tax adjustments, interest adjustments, the statement of adjustments, mortgage insurance versus mortgage insurance. What do I mean by mortgage insurance versus mortgage insurance? Well, sometimes it's life insurance, other times it's not. Sometimes it's for the bank, sometimes it's mandatory, sometimes it's not because the life isn't, but the mortgage insurance for the bank, default insurance is. Like, there's a lot going on there, right? The best example of how we can make an assumption about how much our clients know about the process is when we work with anyone else remotely involved in real estate transactions on a day-to-day -day basis, right? This is the best example, in my opinion. Of, of, it demonstrates to us so well how we make assumptions. You know, if we work with a, a lawyer as a client or a conveyancer, an appraiser, or a realtor as our mortgage client, we really tend to assume, and I'm, you know how I feel about the word assume, and I'm, I'm using it multiple times here, but we do, we assume that they speak the language, our dialect. They don't, all right? They speak a slightly different dialect, and they're frankly shocked that we don't speak their dialect. I mean, PTT, LTSA, HST, GST, math on the fees, some fees, not all the fees, remaining economic life, force majeure. What do you mean you can't define these things? What do you mean you're not sure about these things? Let's quickly take a step back from our industry though. Let's look at a little bigger picture. And you know, we, we realize that people inside our industry don't always know what one another are saying, but let's think about language and, and, and life as a bigger picture. Idioms, idioms, a word most of us would be hard pressed to define. In fact, prepping for this video, I myself had to double check the meaning of euphemism versus idiom, right? The first point I'm making here is that we all use words on a daily basis that others don't understand. Euphemism, idiom. And sometimes we get the meaning of these words mixed up ourselves. The meaning of idiom, to be specific, is a group of words that have a meaning that when combined, isn't always that easy to figure out. You know, if one says it's coming down cats and dogs out there, you may or may not get the meaning. I mean, you know what a cat is and you know what a dog is, but what do we mean they're coming down? Coming down from where? Right? Well, it's raining cats and dogs. But again, what does that even mean? Raining cat, like literally these animals are falling from the sky? If one suggests, for instance, there's more than one way to skin a cat, like that's a disturbing one. I mean, seriously, who's skinning cats and why 
And why are they looking for more than one way to do it? I mean, why are you even doing that more, once? Why are you doing it at all? Yeah, that's a pretty concerning one. And there's a lot of idioms in the English language that not everyone understands. I, I like how people have taken tough row to hoe, which is, you know, a farming analogy, a row, and you've got a hoe and you're manually, you know, pulling this tool through the dirt. And people say that's a tough road to hoe. Well, no doubt, if you got a metal hoe in your hand and you're trying to trying to grind a row into a road, an asphalt road, it's not going to work. So we even mix up our idioms and to the point that they don't even make sense. So like I say, mix the two things together, complex worlds and old timey, often regional sayings and well, recipe for disaster. And so this is my point, that client that you think is shopping you, right? They're not, they're really not. You assume they're playing the game. They have no idea what the game even is. Like they don't, they don't have a clue. Clients enter mortgage world asking one question only, thinking mortgages are just about one thing. That's all they know is what's the best rate. That's that's generally speaking the very first thing we ask, and it's it's the only thing we think to ask when we first enter mortgage world. Unaware of the dozens of other questions that clients should be asking us, that we should be asking them, that they should be asking of themselves. Your client wasn't a rate shopper, they were a rookie. And if all you offered was a rate, then you offered nothing of value, right? And worse still, if you actually called them a rate shopper, you just gave them an idea of who they should be. I mean, think about when someone has falsely labeled you something. They've told you you were something that you, you actually weren't or had never even thought about. How did you react to that? Probably not favorably, probably not with a very open mind. Don't label your clients anything than other than what you want them to become or what you want them to be, i.e. all clients are opportunities for growth, either the growth of your business, the growth of your network, or personal growth. Yes, I'm referring to those challenging personalities. Those are clients that are an opportunity for growth of some kind. When we label someone, that's a story we often are telling ourselves to protect our own precious ego. I know my ego is very precious. To prevent us from having to look at our own actions, our own words, and how we've positioned ourselves in people's minds, rightly or wrongly. And when someone assigns a label to us, well, a lot of times we say, you know what, fine. You're calling me X, I am going to be X. Whatever that label gets thrown at us, sometimes we don't like it very much, but we just say to that person, all right. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I shouldn't say this, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough. Some of you uh, may, may have lived through this experience as well. Remember when your parents, and it was usually dad, said, oh, you're gonna cry? You're gonna cry? I'll give you something to cry about. Like, you know, it's, it's that kind of toxic exchange, right? So like I say, I've watched people refer to their own children as problems. And well, how do you think that turns out? You keep calling your kid a problem. Guess what? Label your clients as anything but opportunities for growth. And indeed, they will be anything but. Clients don't mean to hurt us on purpose. I just don't believe they do. They just don't know a thing about our world. And, you know, I always remember a, a mastermind session in which um, my, my good friend Jake was in. And uh, he had like a moment and, you know, he kind of had the floor and everyone was kind of quiet as he said, I just, I just don't understand, like, why are clients so mean, so unforgiving? Why don't they have compassion for what we do for them? How do they not understand 
the lengths that we go to. And I remember saying like, Jake, come on, man. Like clients don't have a clue what we do. They don't know the lengths that we go to. And you can't even actually start to explain it to them because they'd start to feel guilty. And when people feel guilty or they feel shame or they feel like they're too much of a burden, they vanish on you. So in this industry, you constantly have to kind of suck it up and be like, oh, no, it was no trouble at all. I mean, it was a huge amount of trouble. Nah, it was no problem. It was a ton of problems that you have no idea what I went through to, to deliver this financing to you. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how we have to be. We have to be positive. We got to be kind. And we got to look for that in our clients. And guess what? It's what you'll find. Now, I'm going to close this off with a question that I closed yesterday's Monday uh, Mastermind off with. And seriously, this is a genuine ask of me for you. Who can you think of? Get your pen out. Think about this. Who can you think of that you work with on a somewhat regular basis in the transaction that virtually never receives a thank you from anybody? We've talked about underwriters. Underwriters are often the unsung heroes of our industry, but there's a lot of other players out there doing a lot of other things, thanklessly, right? I mean, docs fulfillment specialists, appraisers, conveyancers at law firms. Maybe it's somebody within your, your internal operation, right? I asked this question. I immediately wrote a name down. I ended the session yesterday. I picked up the phone. I called that person and I told them I'm just calling you purely to say thank you. It's been a hell of a year. You've had a hell of a, 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 a you know, collection of challenges yourself. And uh, I just want to say thank you. I, I truly value you. Now, there's 50 people on that list. And I'm going to try and phone another one right now because I've got 47 minutes before my next meeting. So maybe I'll phone two or three. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do. You want to have a good day. You want to feel good, especially about, you know, like that rate shopper client. Don't use that term, right? That opportunity for growth client, maybe the more challenging one. You want to purge the, the angst and the, the bad energy around that. Phone someone and thank them. Thank them. Thank you. I'm going to quickly read these uh, comments here. The phrases was, oh, yes, there's a few different phrases that uh, have originated in England that, um, Okay, so now this is not on the recording. I, I edited this out of my, my rant, but I was in a boardroom meeting. Some of the, I think I used this in a, in a conversation once uh, in one of the interviews. I was in a, in a, in a boardroom meeting a few years back, and uh, there was, um, I'm going to try and be very non-descriptive. There was a person, shall we say, of more advanced years at one end of the table, and there was a person... Uh, of, of less advanced years, uh, you know, so we got, we got older and we got younger and I'm sort of watching and there's this exchange going and uh, the, the older person in the room says, well, we can't suck and blow at the same time. Now that is an old English saying that has to do with blacksmithing and a bellows. People are like, what the hell's a bellows? It's like that big fan accordion thing. You know, you get the handles on, you open it up and it opens up like an accordion and they squeeze it shut and all the air blows through the hole and it heats the fire up for a blacksmith to forge iron. And you can't suck and blow at the same time with a bellows, right? It's, it only does, you can only do one thing at a time. That is what that idiom is getting across. Well, I mean, in modern day lexicon, to suck, to blow, these, these words have different meanings these days. And the younger person at the other end of the table 
was I think thinking more about, um, you know, if you Google suck and you Google blow, you're probably going to find different things than uh, blacksmithing references. And they were horrified. They're like, why is this person talking about like sexual innuendo in a meeting? And of course, I could see this happening at the break. I went and asked them, I said, did you think that they were kind of getting down in the gutter with that? Oh, yeah, I'm just so uncomfortable. I'm like, let me show you something. And I Googled it and showed them the you know a bellows and a blacksmith. And oh, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I had a conversation with that person too. I said, you know, I think you gotta, you gotta. Ixnay, the, the sucking and the blowing uh, reference. That, that's an idiom that needs to go. There's a lot of idioms that need to go. And uh, I bet most of us don't go to the end of the day today without using some kind of idiom that we go, ooh, yeah, that's probably not appropriate anymore, is it? And you know what? When you think that, yeah, it's probably not. Have you heard the term vulnerable consumer? Yeah, that is a good term, actually. <laughs> Borrows at times. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true though. I mean, anybody who doesn't have a grasp of the nuances of a transaction is vulnerable in that transaction. Uh, you know, in BC right now, so I'm just going to riff for two more minutes. We have this whole talk around the cooling off period. And the cooling off period is, is a misnomer and it's language it needs to go. We need to have mandatory conditions. But there was a lawyer who wrote a piece on LinkedIn and his his defense of, of not having any kind of mandatory conditions in offers was that the buyer and the seller in a new purchase are not on equal footing. It's a skilled developer with a skilled sales force, and you've got this sort of newbie entrant into the real estate market, and there's an imbalance. So yes, this, this newbie should get seven days to figure everything out because they're going head-to-head -head with an experienced developer. Uh, but their philosophy on the sale, the purchase and sale of used properties was that you have you know, sort of a neophyte, maybe they bought once and this is their first time selling on one side of the equation and you got maybe your first time or second time buyer. So they're both equal. They're equally inexperienced, equally unprofessional. Uh, what an asinine analogy to make, you know? I mean, so in one instance, you're saying we have a vulnerable consumer, let's protect them with a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a time for them to go and engage a lawyer you know, engage the bank for financing, whatever. But in the other one, well, they're both kind of newbies. They're both kind of rookies. Neither one of them really knows what's going on. So it's equal footing. So, you know, we don't need these. <laughs> it's like, I'm not too sure. I think more than ever, you need to protect people in, in a situation like that. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, totally disagree with having to, uh, intentions are kind. Oh yeah, no, I, Harry, I don't disagree with you. I mean, intentions are everything, except when they're not. Perception is the bigger one. And uh, I don't know, to some extent, I think we do have to be aware of how people are perceiving us. Look no further than email exchanges, right? Well, I didn't mean to upset you, yet the person is incredibly upset. So yeah, communication, right? Well, we could talk about it for another 42 minutes, but we're not going to. Anyhow. Cheers. Have a good day. I'll be back in 23 hours and 42 minutes. We'll talk about passive aggressive brokers because that is a thing I think that does exist.
And uh, well, I guess it ties into today's talk. Have a good one, everybody. Cheers.